Welcome to All of Yoga. This podcast explores, you guessed it, all of yoga, including the roots and history of yoga, how simple concepts from yoga philosophy can help us live a less stressful life, and how to approach the physical aspect of yoga in a safe and beneficial way. If you're brand new to yoga and wondering what it's all about, or you're an experienced yogi looking to learn more about all of yoga, this podcast is for you. Welcome to this episode, The Thing About Thoughts. When I first started going to yoga, I thought that when we were in Shavasana at the end of class, that everyone else was in a totally peaceful state with completely clear heads and no thoughts while I was absolutely 10 to the dozen planning my afternoon, working out how I was going to pay for all the commitments I'd made, mentally reviewing my to-do list and so much more. It was only really when I started teaching yoga that I realised most people were the same as me. They had overly busy minds and they felt like they were the only one with an overly busy mind and that everyone else was the epitome of peace itself. The more I've taught yoga, the more interested I've become in the power of the mind, about how much we think, about how erroneous these thoughts are, how overwhelmingly powerful the stories that we tell ourselves repeatedly are. The things that we believe about ourselves, because why? Because we thought them, like, I can't spell, I can't do maths, I can't remember my left and right. Wouldn't it be wonderful to overcome these limiting beliefs and see our potential? Before we progress on to the rest of the episode, let's first of all be open-minded about the possibility that we can, in theory, overcome our limitations that we can, in theory, have a thought and that's it. As in, it doesn't trigger another thought and another and another, like a game of (laughs) word association happening inside your very head that you didn't even want in the first place. (laughs) So with that mindset, that what's in the head can be overcome, let's have a look at thoughts. What are thoughts? What are thoughts? (laughs) Where do they happen? Why do they happen? What do they achieve? What percentage of your thoughts are useful to you versus useless to you? The word for thought in Sanskrit, Sanskrit is the language that yoga scripture is written in, is vritti. (laughs) Vritti. The thing is, and this is mega, The thing is that vritti also translates as vortex or whirlpool. Sanskrit, or really the yogis, are so insightful to see that thoughts go round and round and round. And not only that, but they pull us down with them into a vortex. Or that there's a whirlpool of thoughts that gain so much energy that they become, in inverted commas, true. Well done, yoga. (laughs) What incredible insight that is. Just have a think about that for a moment. (laughs) Ha ha. Just have a think. What are thoughts to you? If I said a thought is something that you can hear inside your own head, 
Would you agree? There's an absolutely amazing book, The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. And I'm just going to read a couple of paraphrase excerpts from the first chapter, which is called The Voice Inside Your Head. This book is recommended wholly and completely. And if you like, there's a link to order it from bookshop.org in our show notes. The Voice Inside Your Head. In case you haven't noticed, you have a mental dialogue going on inside your head that never stops. It just keeps going and going. Have you ever wondered why it talks in there? How does it decide what to say and when to say it? How much of what it says turns out to be true? How much of what it says is even (laughs) important? If you spend some time observing this mental voice, the first thing that you will notice is that it never shuts up. (laughs) When left to its own, it just talks. If you watch carefully, you'll see that it's just trying to find a comfortable place to rest. It will change sides in a moment, if that seems to help. And it doesn't even quiet down when it finds out that it's wrong. It simply adjusts its viewpoint and keeps on going. The best way to free yourself from this incessant chatter is to step back and view it objectively. Just view the voice as a vocalising mechanism that is capable of making it appear like someone is in there talking to you. Just notice it. It's just a voice talking inside your head. There is nothing more important to true growth than realising that you are not the voice of the mind. Let's just review that for a moment. So Michael A. Singer is saying that yes, there's a voice inside our head that chatters on and on and on. But that voice is not you. To understand the power and influence behind the voice though, we need to be quiet and to objectively listen. This is, of course, what we do in meditation, in a sense, but you can also do it when walking, when on the phone to someone, when doing the washing up. This is so liberating to know that the voice can be there. It can chatter away. It can take both sides of an argument. It can contradict itself. But know that it's not you. However, the thing is, if we don't, take the time to be aware of what it's saying and just how ridiculous it is, we run the risk of believing that the voice is us, which can be completely destructive. There is some biology to be aware of when looking at thoughts. This is taken from another completely brilliant book called Atomic Habits by James Clear which is also linked to from our show notes, and again is paraphrased. James Clear says, The earliest remains of modern humans are approximately 200,000 years old. These were the first humans to have a brain relatively similar to ours. In particular, the neocortex, the newest part of the brain and the region responsible for higher functions like language, was roughly the same size 200,000 years ago as today. (laughs) You are walking around 
with the same hardware as your Paleolithic ancestors. Compared to the age of the brain, modern society is incredibly new. In the last 100 years, we've seen the rise of the car, the airplane, the the television, the personal computer, the internet. Nearly everything that makes up your daily life has been created in, comparatively, a very small window of time. The mismatch between our old brain and our new environment has a significant impact on the amount of chronic stress and anxiety we experience today. Thousands of years ago, stress and anxiety were useful emotions because they helped us take action in the face of immediate problems. For example, a lion appears across the plain. You feel stressed. You run away. Your stress is relieved. A storm rumbles in the distance. You worry about finding shelter. You find shelter. Your anxiety is relieved. (laughs) You haven't drunk any water today. You feel stressed and dehydrated. You find water. Your stress is relieved. Stress and anxiety were for solving short-term, acute problems. But today, we humans face problems that have unknown endpoints. Will I have enough money to pay the bills? Will I get the promotion at work? Will I repair my broken relationship? James Clear then goes on to explain how habit formation can help in reducing anxiety. So if that sounds like something that would benefit you, go and check out the book. It is absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I wanted to include this in this episode, the thing about thoughts, because although we are walking around with Paleolithic hardware, we can fully take control of what we focus on. We can't rest on our laurels, but we can act. Now, We definitely don't want to be only focusing on objectively observing the thoughts all the time. We just, we would never get anything else done. But we do want to unearth the ongoing, repeating thoughts that when left unchecked start to become, in inverted commas, fact. Like, I'm terrible at maths. My friend has fallen out with me. And so on. There's one more evolutionary thing to bring in here, which is the negative bias. When you're walking or driving or going somewhere new, there's negative bias at play. The brain is always prioritizing such vast amounts of information. And because hazards and dangers need to be dealt with immediately, they are prioritized, whereas good things can always be dealt with later. Mindfulness recommends that we practice loving kindness and gratitude. Yoga recommends we practice contentment. These practices are geared towards pulling us out of the negative bias when we don't need to be there, pulling us out of worry and shifting the outlook to be more positive. So let's summarise what we know so far. That the voice inside your head is not you and that evolution in and of itself is not enough to have a calm mind. We have to put the work in, one, to be aware of the thoughts, and two, to practice gratitude or contentment or both, or you might see them as the same anyway. So let's look at some practical things that we can do to work towards a slightly more peaceful mind. These practices are all included in our free The Thing About Thoughts workbook. 
To get yours, simply go to yogahero.co.uk forward slash all of yoga four. That's the number four. So yogahero.co.uk forward slash all of yoga four. One, be aware. Just being aware of, just noticing the voice in your head when you can, for as long as you can, as often as you can. Yeah, we can see this as a form of meditation, but for me, there's no need to name this practice or to label it or to worry if we're doing it right. You can just observe the voice in your head when you're walking, dancing, talking on the phone, talking to your dog, watering your plants, even when watching TV. When we start to be aware of the incessant nature of the thoughts, plus how unuseful many of them are, it decreases their power, hopefully. Two, have something specific to focus on. Stopping thoughts is hard, maybe verging on impossible. What seems to be more accessible, however, and I've definitely had a lot of feedback from yogis that this is more doable than just trying to stop thinking, is to place your focus purposefully onto one thing. This could be a mantra that you say over and over again in your head or out loud. So you're sitting, standing, walking, whatever. You start to say your mantra in your head or out loud. Let's say the mantra is, I am calm. I am calm. I am calm. I am calm. I am, oh, I forgot to buy dog food. (sighs) Right, I better remember to do that on the way back from the the supermarket. Ah, where did I put the list for the, ah, I'm thinking. Back to the mantra. I am calm. 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 Oh, it's Tina's birthday soon. I really, really need to remember to send a card. I can't believe I forgot last year. She's never forgotten my birthday. She is so organized. Why can't I be more? I'm thinking again. (laughs) Okay. Back to the mantra. I am calm. I am calm. What? Do you see? We're not stopping the thoughts, not resisting them, not pushing them down, which can sometimes be quite a tense practice. Thoughts will come. We just do our best to not engage with them because we're focused on the mantra. If using a mantra doesn't sit well with you, you could use a sensation in your body. Those of you familiar with yin yoga, this is a great technique for yin yoga. It's amazing. (laughs) You could use one thing coming in through the senses, as in like not everything coming in through all the senses or even not everything coming in through one sense, but one thing coming in through one sense. So if next door's dog is barking, rather than spiraling off, ah, chuffing dog never shuts up. I hope they look after it. I wonder what it's barking at. Blah, 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 blah. Rather than that, you could focus objectively on the sound itself. 
So you're not commentating on it, not building stories around it, just objectively, calmly focusing on the sound. And when you find yourself thinking of something else, you place your focus firmly, but with compassion, back onto the sound. You can always focus on the breath. She's always there for you to observe or control. Three, movement. This is probably the thing that most people associate with yoga. The movement side, the postural aspect of the practice. Actually, yoga is the mastery of the mind. So incredibly relevant to this episode, but let's stay on track. That's a big subject to talk about different day. (laughs) The reason that the movement practice is such a big part of what we understand yoga to be today is because it's so effective at making us feel better for many reasons, like stretching activates the calming response of the nervous system, which helps to decrease feelings of worry and stress. When you focus on putting your left foot there, lift your right arm high, now put it right down, step here, keep breathing, relax your shoulders. <laughs> this is just the same as focusing on a mantra or on the breath or on a sound like we've discussed before. There's no space for the incessant chatter in your head because you're too focused on what you're doing. The movement also helps to shift stress hormones out of the body. All of this contributes to helping you feel better and to think a little bit less. Four, journaling. Write down all your thoughts. A complete mind dump. No editing, just write, 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 write. Get as much as you can out of your head and onto paper. You can tear it up afterwards. No one ever, ever needs to read it. But when it's physical, pen on paper or typed into your phone or computer, if that suits you better, you can see the contradictions, how just plain silly some things are, how often one thing appears and reappears and reappears. Five, breathe deeply. We mentioned before how focusing on the breath can help, but we have, have, have to mention breathing in and of its own right as a tool to manage thoughts, to working towards a slightly more peaceful mind. Slowing down the breath, consciously breathing deeper into the lungs, not just into the top section of the lungs, positively affects our physiology. And again, it pulls us out of repeating thoughts, out of the down, downward spiral, the vrihti. These practices are all included in our The Thing About Thoughts workbook. Available in the show notes at yogahero.co.uk forward slash all of yoga for And we've also popped a guide in there to a calming breathing practice too, which is completely free. Just a safety note here. If you're experiencing overwhelmingly racing thoughts, 
or scary thoughts or anything of that nature, please do see your doctor or visit mind.org.uk. Yoga is an incredible tool, but so is medicine, so please do get any help that you need. There was a lot of information here, and it's all so personal. Yoga is so personal. And so this episode might be something that you come back to again, like tomorrow or next week, or when you're having a tough time. When learning yoga philosophy, I know that this isn't technically philosophy, by the way, but the sentiment is relevant. We proceed the learnings with a reminder that you'll take what you need on the day and you can let the rest go. So trust that what's gone in is useful to you today based on what's going on in your life today. And if and when you come back to this episode, what you take from it then might be completely different based on what's going on in your life then. I really hope this has been even 10% as useful to you as it has been to me in the past. You are not your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening, you wonderful heroes. See you next time.